Well, good morning, everybody. The scripture readings today come from 1 Kings chapter 3. I'm going to be reading from 14 and 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 18 through 25. 1 Kings 3, the English Standard Version, uh, which is the version of your pew Bibles. So you can follow along. 5 through 14 can be found on page 282 of your pew Bible. Herein is the um, with your personal Bibles if you, if you wish. At Gibeon, the Lord is the word of the Lord. 1 Kings chapter 3, beginning with verse 5. And Solomon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, Ask what I shall give you. Because he walked before him and said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant David, my father, and you have kept for you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. This for him, this great and steadfast love, and have given him a son to sit on his throne in place of day. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king how to go out or come to David my father. Although I am but a little child, I do not know how people to in. And your servant is in the midst of your people whom you have chosen, a great standing mind, too many to be numbered or counted for the multitude. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding to govern, to govern your people, that I may discern between good and evil. For who is a... And God said to him, this, your great people. It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this for riches him. Because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life, right, before the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, I give you a wise hold. I now do according to, you, to your word. Behold, you shall arise in discerning mind, so that none like you has been before you, and none like you, so that no other king shall after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, keeping my statue will compare with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways your days, statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, I will lengthen. If you'll turn with me, please, over to the New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning with verse 18, who are being saved. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us, and the discernment, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. Where is the scribe of the discerning I will thwart? Where is the one who is wise? Wisdom of the world? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom? It pleased God. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, signs, and through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For the Jews demand signs and folly to Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, Christ the power of God, Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, weakness of God, God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the is stronger than men. Let us pray. We are proud that we are better. Dear Lord, we come before you today 
confessing our pride, we humble, basking better, smarter, wiser than others, or we are proud that we are so much of wisdom in our humility, but we only deceive ourselves in a false sense of things and destiny. As you have taught us through your prophet Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful above all. Where is the spiritly sick? Who can understand it? Where is the one who is wise, Lord, that compares scribe? Where is the debater of this age? We confess, help us, Lord, and have a prayer to your wisdom. They are but figments of our vain imaginations. May we worship you in proper sense of humility. Please give us godly wisdom from above and teach this morning with broken and contrite hearts, willing to accept your preaching and of your word through your servant, Nick. For it is in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. So friends, here's the big idea today. Because God is the source of wisdom that we so desperately need, we must seek wisdom diligently every day. Again, God is the source of wisdom that we so desperately need, right? For our job, for our life at school, for our interaction with our neighbors and friends, family members, because we need wisdom so desperately, and God has it, we must diligently pursue it every day. So we see first the call to wisdom in verses 1 through 11. We see that it is public. It is down to earth. It's in the middle of the city. One scholar points out that back at this time in the city, the highest point was the temple. The temple is where God speaks from. It's where God meets with his people. God comes with his heavenly wisdom and he's reaching out. It's at the crossroads. It's where people are. Uh, I thought about this. When is it appropriate to raise your voice in public? So every week, we kind of do the same thing around here. We, we sing, we pray. This is the time where I preach. We're all listening. But I thought about it. There are certain cases where you would want to raise your voice, where you wouldn't want to raise your voice. On Friday night, I was at the Southern High School basketball game. I paid to get in. It was appropriate for me to raise my voice and shout, to cheer the team on, to shout defense and, you know, go and all that stuff. So that was appropriate. Now, if you started doing that there, here, that would be kind of interesting. You wouldn't want to say defense, but I don't know. If there's some response, if you hear something that is good and that is uh, touching your heart, it's good to say amen and hallelujah and all those things. Uh, Yesterday, I was in downtown Annapolis, and I heard someone shouting my voice. And I told Kirsten about this. Whenever I hear someone shouting my name in public, or I hear a sound, I often look in the wrong direction. So I'm just staying around. So I told her that next time that happens, I'm going to look in the direction that I don't think it's coming from, and I might be looking at the right person. But I hear my voice being called, and uh, lo and behold, it's Alex Arita. Some of you know him. Uh, he and his girlfriend were walking around downtown Annapolis, and it was good to see him. But it was appropriate for him to do that, right? He was calling out. He wanted to get my attention so that we could talk and, and uh, greet each other. But the point is, wisdom and the call to wisdom is worth raising its voice, getting our attention, saying, this is for you, this is for everybody, 
It doesn't matter how smart you are or how smart you think you are. Uh, we sometimes fall into one or two errors. We think that we're so smart we don't need to learn anything. Or we think that we're not smart at all and we can learn nothing. But the good news is that the call to wisdom is for everyone. But it's also for the simple. This word simple in verse 5 means young and uh, a young and naive person, unexperienced, easily seduced, needing instruction, but in a positive way, capable of learning. Prudence, another word in verse 5, is uh, another word for cleverness or craftiness in a good sense. This is prudence. You know, th- this word craftiness, we see at the beginning of the Bible, right? The serpent comes in craftiness. He's crafty, so he, he tempts the woman. But you can be crafty in a good sense. And I think of the Proverbs 31 woman, where it says she perceives that her merchandise is profitable Her lamp does not go out at night. She opens her hands to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. So this image of the wise woman in Proverbs 31 is is one who uses all of her resources to, uh, to be profitable, to be a blessing to others. And this is the craftiness. This is the the good craftiness, prudence uh, that wisdom is all about. One of the facets of wisdom. But we see in Proverbs that wisdom is contrast with foolishness or with the fool. A fool is someone who is uh, stupid in practical things and even worse, insolent or rude or arrogant and lack of respect in regards to religion. Again, you can be a very smart person but, but be a fool <laughs> in the way that you live your life and certainly in your, in your relationship with God. Lady Wisdom says, get sense, get a mind. It's similar to, um, you hear the phrase, have a heart. Lady Wisdom is saying to us, get sense, understand what's going on, be prudent. So this wisdom goes out to everybody, this call to wisdom goes out to everybody. It is for the simple, it's for those who need to learn and to grow, which is all of us. And it is completely for our good. We see this in verses 6 through 11. It's noble. It's correct. It's the proper expression of good. It's out in the public. A similar idea to this is found in Philippians 4.8 when it says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence... If there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. This is the the noble speech, the noble call to wisdom, what it's like. In verse 9, we see they are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. The words that are coming from Lady Wisdom to us, they're straight. They are straightforward. Uh, Our new pastor is Jerry straight. It's a good thing that we didn't call Jerry crooked. That would have been bad. We like straightforward words. We, we, we like someone to speak with us clearly and straightforwardly. We're skeptical and we are uh, leery of those who would try to deceive us with their words. 
One scholar says, they are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. That is to say, the word of God is open to the open person. It is reasonable to the reasonable person. There's nothing wrong with the communicator. God is clear and good and right. The problem is us often. Whether we're skeptical, ultimately it comes from a heart of sin and a fear and a resistance to submitting ourselves to God, to the God who made us. But the scholar says, how you experience the word of God reveals yourself to you. Again, if you come to God with a heart of humility, uh, not checking your brain at the door, it's okay to come to God with honest questions. I encourage everyone to do that. But we should check our hearts and say, is my resistance to God uh, my problem or is it God's problem? Am I willing to listen to a right answer or am I just in a way playing games and once I'm faced with the evidence, I say, no, no, no. Um, this is the heart of sinful man and this is the way that we can be at times when we don't really want to hear the truth. But when we come to God's word uh, humbly, uh, admitting that God is our creator and that he is good and that he knows what's best for us, he can work with a person like that. We see also that the call to wisdom is an either-or proposition when it comes to our treasure. Verses 10 and 11. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. It's okay to have money. It's okay to have treasure. But... For a Christian and for a wise person, our ultimate treasure is not found in those things because those things can go away quickly. Our treasure is God's wisdom in knowing him and following him and living the way that he wants us to live in our unique situation. And I want to remind us again that the call to wisdom goes out to all. It's not just for the well-educated. It's not for those who have lived a perfectly good life. Answering the call of wisdom is about humbling yourself before God and saying, I need you. I need your wisdom. I need you to help me to live my life in this current situation with the people that I'm around. There are no shortage of situations. There is no shortage of a situation where we don't need God's help and we submit to him. We pray that we would grow in wisdom and we ask God to help us. Some of you are teachers. Some of you have been teachers and you're not a teacher anymore. But I want you to think in the mindset of a teacher and think about what is the easiest kind of student to teach. It's usually not the smartest student in the class. Sometimes it is. Sometimes uh, the, the smartest student academically uh, is also easy to get along with and a good learner. But I think... Most of us would admit that the best student, the easiest one to teach, is the one with the right attitude. Um, I've had the experience as a teacher when someone asks a question, and it's a little naive, and yet it shows that this person, this student, is willing to express what they know or to express what they don't know. And a teacher loves that when a student 
is opening themselves up to learning something new or learning how to do something in a different way. That's why we have teachers. That's why we are teachers, uh, to help those who are younger, who are less experienced, to know how to do something. And this is the attitude that we bring to God when we say, we need your help, Lord. We need to, uh, to come to him with a heart of humility, willing to change, willing to grow, willing to ask questions, even not being afraid to, to try something. Some of us have the experience, maybe many of us, we were in classes as children, and we were afraid to ask questions, right? Why do we do that? Well, we don't want to show to the rest of the world what we don't know, and that sometimes keeps us from asking questions. Uh, but some of us have also had the experience with a student class who asks questions all the time, and it's sometimes just showing how much they know, and the question they're asking is irrelevant to everybody else, and that's frustrating too. But God wants us to come to him with humility. He is our teacher. He is the one who has wisdom. So to recap, it's public. It's for everybody. None of us in this room can say wisdom is not for me. None of us can say I've learned it. I don't need anything else. We can all grow in wisdom. It's for the simple. It's for those who realize that we need help. It's for those who, who say no matter how wise I am, no matter how much I've learned, God is the ultimate teacher. And this call to wisdom is completely for our good. Again, we get skeptical when someone is trying to sell us something. And here God is calling out to us to receive wisdom, to prize wisdom. And he's saying, it's all good for you. It's greater than riches. It's all good. So this is the call to wisdom. But what else can we learn about this wisdom that calls out to us? Beginning in verse 12, we see that Lady Wisdom has friends and companions as well as enemies. So look with me uh, at verses 13 through 17. So again, this is the image of wisdom. I wisdom dwell with prudence, and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. So parents often say, watch the company that you keep. Or be careful about who you hang out with. Why do parents say that? Well, they say that because they know that we are often influenced by those that we hang around with for, for good or for ill. And we can learn about wisdom through the friends that Lady Wisdom keeps. And who are her friends? Who are the ones that she hangs out with? Prudence, that we just learned about. Again, it's discretion. Craftiness in a good way. Fear of the Lord. And the flip side of that coin, the hatred of evil. Counsel, which is advice. Insight and strength, really thinking deeply about something. Uh, I don't want to give the impression that wisdom is without knowledge and learning. It's involved in it, but learning in and of itself isn't necessarily wisdom. Uh, and wisdom's friends are wise rulers, kings and princes and leaders. Uh, but in a, in a sense, it's really the wise rulers that hang out with Lady Wisdom and learn from her and grow and are able to lead people in difficult situations. But what about wisdom's enemies? Here you see them, pride, 
arrogance, the way of evil, perverted or distorted speech. Again, we learned about straightforward speech, but here the enemies of wisdom are distorted speech, those who would twist words. And Lady Wisdom is saying to us, that is not helpful. Those are the people that you want to keep away from you. Those are the ideas that you want to avoid. So those are the friends and enemies. And we see again in 18 verses, or 18 through 21, that the character of wisdom is that it is exceedingly valuable. It's exceedingly valuable. There's no comparison to the value of what is gained through wisdom. Verse 18, riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield better than choice silver. So Lady Wisdom says, what is better than acquiring gold and silver? The answer, the answer is simple, acquiring wisdom. Many of us are familiar with the Bernie Madoff scheme, his, his Ponzi scheme, where he had all these people investing in his company, and he, he gave people the impression that they were uh, making lots and lots of money in their retirement accounts, way more than everybody else. And very few people knew what was going on. Why did he do that? Well, he was prizing the acquiring of wealth over honesty, over integrity, over the good of his clients. And he paid the price for it. The acquiring of wealth is very deceptive. Again, it's, it's a call that goes out to us. We feel this need. We need to acquire. We need to get more and more. And it comes from a desire to be secure. It comes from a desire to be comfortable. But wisdom is saying there is something greater than acquiring more and more wealth. There's something greater than being comfortable. And it is wisdom. It is knowing when is enough enough. Certainly, when is the acquiring of wealth uh, going to tempt you uh, to compromise God's word and to hurt other people in the process. And as I said, he paid the price for it. And we pay the price for it. Maybe we've had the experience where we, we lived in a certain way for a period of time. Maybe you're living in a certain way right now where you're, you're living for the acquiring of wealth or you're living for the acquiring of a certain status. And you think, if I can only achieve that, then I'll be safe, then I'll be good. And sometimes we put those things above God and above his wisdom and above our relationship with him. You can be a wise person, you can be a rich person without having a lot of wealth. Being wise and being rich comes from knowing what to do with your wealth and honoring God with it. But here we see that the way we live demonstrates what we really care about, what we value. God is calling you and me to a life of wisdom and to believe that knowing him and treasuring his wisdom is the greatest thing. So I ask you, is your life focused on gaining wisdom or is it focused on something else? Some of us have New Year's resolutions. Again, this passage is getting us to think about God's wisdom, that that is what we want to acquire this year and for the rest of our lives. And in case you needed another incentive for wisdom, we see that it is the beginning and foundation of all God does. 
Here's the priority of wisdom in verses 22 through 31. It is shown, God's wisdom is shown, it is illustrated in creation itself. We sang about it this morning. Look with me at verse 22. The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago, I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. Again, we, we think about who God is. We think about his knowledge, his power, everything that we have, everything that we see, everything that we're able to do is because God first created us. He created this world. He is awesome in power. And the writer of Proverbs is saying, God prized wisdom from the beginning. Everything that he did in creation was through wisdom. It is awesome and it is wonderful. We also see toward the end of the passage, it is near and dear to the heart of God. Verse 30, it's described as wisdom as a master workman, a craftsman. Someone who is working to make something beautiful. God's wisdom is on display in his creation so that we would know his character. And here's the implication. If it was God's priority in creation that wisdom would be a part of everything that he does, how much more do we as his creatures need to prize wisdom in everything that we do? That we would glorify him, that we would live according to his ways, that we would cry out to him in situations when we don't know what to do. Uh, even if you don't make a perfect decision, even if you admit straight up that you've made a bad decision, there is always hope because you're in relationship with God, that God can fix the bad that you've done, that God can repair whatever you've damaged, and that there is still hope for you because there is a God who loves you and who is wise and knows how to put lives back together. And that's what gives us freedom to make decisions. None of us has all the knowledge we need to know to make the perfect decision. Maybe some of us feel like we've gotten to that point and maybe you've lived long enough where, well, I'm not making the same decisions I made 10 years ago or 20 years ago. And I know a little bit more so that I can make wiser decisions today. But in the end, we don't have perfect knowledge. Only God has perfect knowledge. And we make decisions and we do things in submission to him, trusting him with the wisdom that he has given us. And ultimately, it's not up to us. It's up for him to work in our lives. We know that he's already at work around us. And we can say, I trust you, Lord. We can say, you're at work in this. And you are God and I am not. So we learned about the call of wisdom, the character of wisdom, what it's like, the priority of wisdom uh, in God's mind and his actions, in his work of creation, and now the blessings of wisdom, the blessing of wisdom, excuse me, verse 32 through 36. First we see it is for those who heed the call. Verse 32, and now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates. 
watching beside my doors. Again, you don't have to be very smart, but you do have to listen. You have to look up and say, God, you are in control of my life. You are the one with the wisdom. You are the one who has everything that I need. I submit to you. Are you prepared to do that? Are you doing that? Does that sound appealing to you? I hope that it does. We see also that it is a matter of life and death, verses 35 and 36. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord, but he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. Wisdom calls out publicly and says, this is a matter of life and death. This is your life. You are, in a sense, naive. You are a learner. You don't know everything that you need to know. Lady Folly is calling out to you, calling you to follow her. But here, wisdom, Lady Wisdom is calling out to you and to me and saying, turn away from danger. Again, why do we raise our voice in public sometimes? We want to protect someone. You're not going to hesitate to shout out if someone is about to run into the street. So wisdom calls out to us. So finally this. Today we have heard the call to wisdom, but there is one more act of wisdom to behold. Jesus came not merely to show us how to live a wise life, though he did do that, right? We marvel at the wisdom of the way that he dealt with the Pharisees. We marvel at the wisdom that he demonstrated and the way that he interacted with all sorts of people. But before he shows us to live, how to live a wise life, he is the wisdom of God for us. And that's what we heard this morning. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Friends, the wisdom of God was shown is when God sent his son to be our perfect savior, to be our perfect wise Lord, to live in the perfect right way in the way that we did not live. And somehow, in the wisdom of God, taking the evil, wicked deeds of men who crucified him and taking even that wicked act and turning it into good. Jesus being crucified in your place, in my place, solving our greatest problem, our sin and death and hell. God in his wisdom came and rescued us. He gave us new life. Through what Jesus did, God brings us into a right relationship with God when we receive Jesus by faith. We turn from our sins, we turn from our wicked ways, and we trust alone in Jesus Christ. He rose from the dead three days later, God's perfect wisdom on display for all to see. Publicly, it goes out. So friends, I urge you to trust in God, trust in his wisdom, trust in the one he sent for you to be the wisdom of God and the power of God in your life, to be reconciled to God, and then go and live a life of wisdom. Seek it, pursue it every day of your life. Like it said, Daily watching, daily waiting, stumbling in this life, not doing it perfectly, but continually coming back to the Lord as a learner and saying, I want to know you. I want to be a wise person. I want to glorify you. I want to point others to you so that they would know 
the joy of the gospel and the wisdom of God in Jesus Christ. So let's pray to him right now. Lord, you are faithful. You are bringing to our attention at the beginning of this new year, 2020, the priority of wisdom. That it must be a priority in our lives because it is a priority in your life and in your communication to us. We are learners. We are simple and in need of your help. And we believe that you provide it for us. Your word says as much. And we thank you for giving it to us in Jesus' name.